Welcome to Every Dimension. This podcast is created for those buying and selling design. Our aim is to explore how to demand more from design and how to deliver it. As we all need to keep growing brands, when tomorrow's challenges and opportunities come in every dimension. Every Dimension is created by the Agency Path and hosted by me, a founder, Thomas Herman. Welcome to another episode of Every Dimension, Demand More from Design. This time, we are joined by Shafik Saba. Hello, Shafik. Hi. Hi, Thomas. Nice to meet you. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, Shafik is Global Lead uh, Front End Innovation at Halion, and that's the consumer health brand's business previously, a part of GSK. Um, and we met at the Pent Awards Festival in November 2023. It's now... January 24. Um, and soon after uh, we met, I discovered Shafik was part of a team exploring how AI technologies might affect Halion and the people that might use their products. So um, with that in mind, we, we talk a lot in agency world about AI, and um, but the realities of applying that commercially, client side, brand side, you know, might be quite different. So I was keen to get Shafik's perspective and he kindly agreed. Thanks, Shafik. Well, thank you for inviting me here. It's always a pleasure. Well, thank you. Um, so, Shafik, um, to start, it's always good to understand, you know, um, what people do and, and where they came from. So, in your own words, could you sort of talk about your role and responsibilities today at Halion? But to get us there, could you talk us or walk us through your kind of studies or career choices, um, you know, on your way and, and go back as far as you can, as far as you're comfortable, you know, even your first um, first paid job or any kind of youthful entrepreneurial schemes or incomes or anything like that. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Thomas. Um, so I'm Shafik. I head up front end innovation or FEI as we call it at Halion. Um, uh, and it's essentially, uh, we operate like an internal innovation consultancy to the world's largest consumer healthcare company. Um, lots of brands like Voltara and Sensestein, Panadol, Centrum, uh, across oral health, OTC, and what we call wellness or vitamin and mineral businesses in particular. Um, so I have a very small team that comprise kind of consumer insight with science and technology, with design and sort of commercial. That's essentially the four legs of the stool that we're built on. To get to where I've, I've kind of got to, um, I guess I blame my mum giving me a set of Meccano when I was about eight or nine years old closely followed by a set of technical Lego, because that's probably what lit the geek in me. Um, I've always been a bit of a geek, wanting to know not just what things do, but how they do it. Um, and I sort of then went on to Imperial College a bit later and did MechEng, and then I, I went into the car industry for about eight years um, at Ford Motor Company, which was great, great fun making big cars with over 4,500 products in um, to make up one product. Um, and then I left and I became an sort of an ideation consultant stroke qual researcher, worked at a couple of different agencies, and then just under 20 years ago, I came to GSK Consumer. And I've worked across the company uh, from global roles and local roles, a lot of time in oral health, a lot of time always with a red thread of innovation, but kind of launching big innovations around the world. Um, I've had the pleasure of traveling around the world, actually, and talking innovation, which means so many 
means so many similar things, but in different ways to different cultures, which is fascinating when you say compare America and China as sort of very different places in the way that innovation touches people. But yeah, innovation is the red thread that underpins all of it, uh, I would say. And I guess I've moved from being fascinated about how things work to why they should work. And I, I guess I constantly flip between the why and the how, which I guess is the difference between qual and science maybe, but both equally fascinate me. And in, innovation really is the intersection of where the why meets the how, I think. Okay, okay yeah, great. So um, you've kind of built the kind of innovation role within Halion and GSK, is, is that right? Yes, yeah, we, we basically um, institutionalized the design thinking process um, and most of your listeners will not be surprised by that. Design thinking is not new, but um, the capabilities needed for it, for a company of our size that is constantly changing, it, it means you you need a sort of a like a ninja squad or whatever, people who really live and breathe it to sort of help people learn by doing and, and coach people through a number of projects that we do. And that's essentially how we do what we do. We kind of focus on projects, we focus on process, which is where AI is really shaking it all up at the moment. And we're also trying to build capability all the time. Yeah, great. So, I mean, just in case there are listeners um, that sort of aren't familiar with the discipline, um, how would you sort of describe innovation in, in sort of simple terms and sort of how it fits in the marketing mix? You know, as a consumer packaged goods company or a consumer health company producing stuff for, for people on the street to use, you know, you know, what is innovation within that kind of service? I think innovation when you're within a company is a process that starts with understanding what people want or may not realize that they want and goes through a series of different investigations to kind of come up with ideas uh, and bring those increasingly to life and test them iteratively. So design thinking as a methodology um, that, you know, your listeners should be aware of. And if they're not, log on to the Design Council's website. They've got great papers on it, a double diamond process and all of that sort of stuff is, is, um, is basically a way of, Starting off usually with a business problem and then reinterpreting that business problem through actually what it matters to normal people. People call them consumers, sounds transactional, but it's just people like you and me. So, you know, it might be I want to grow my Sensetime brand by 10% in this market. That's a business problem. Uh, but to consumers, that might be um, why should I care about having sensitive teeth and, and kind of getting people to understand the insights behind that. And then we look at the emerging science and technology and competition and trends and future scaping around that as to where that might go. And we come up with ideas and iteratively uh, test those with, with people, with consumers, with experts like dentists and hygienists and stuff like that. Um, increasingly through to putting products in people's mouths and seeing if they like it and if it works. Great, great. And, and, and how does that, I guess, um, for various listeners, we might, might have marketeers or designers or you know, people like yourself, how does that kind of fit in the, in the, the marketing mix, I guess, uh, you know, how does a brief come to you and, and then how might you involve third parties, designers or creativity and so forth? Starts with strategy. So um, any business will set itself a task, uh, objectives to grow by X percent over Y timeframe. And, uh, and we would, we would turn those into sort of more specific granular, strategy that you can use so which target audiences do you want to grow with um over what time frame how are you going to protect your current business how are you going to grow with new consumers and all of that and that's really innovation strategy and then as you evolve those ideas and they get to sort of increasing levels of approval and getting ready to launch that's when the, the other levers of the marketing 
machine, if you want to call it that, um, stick in. So, you know, as the idea develops from paper to laboratory, so does the designer start to come in and think about what's the experience we want to wrap around that. Uh, to be fair, the designer is in, should be, not always, but should be involved from day one. But um, I guess my experience of big corporates is they get more involved execution at the back end, which is not right because they're not using those design thinking brains. But in real, in, in when when done right, you have the designer throughout um, guiding you on how might that science be visualized, how might that idea be emotionally visualized, how might that experience be brought to life in a in a you know a physical, digital, sensorial, experiential way, um, all the way through to you know how does the final execution wow people and pay back to driving the core brand equity so so not only does that innovation fly but all of the products surrounding it on shelf fly at the same time they're very multi-disciplinary i haven't even talked about communication and comms but that's also obviously part of it yeah exactly and so um do you still have a, an internal design function at halion we do like many other companies we're going through change so whereas we used to have a centralized function we now have that function kind of uh divided out throughout the business units in the in the across the business but yeah we have a t talented team of about 40 designers uh, across the company great great well thanks for that yeah kind of good to get the kind of background and and, and kind of sort of yeah understand um you know what your what your day-to-day -day challenges are um but we're here to kind of try and talk a little bit about ai um so moving on to that i thought it'd be quite interesting to kind of understand or, or Acknowledge, you know, you, you've, you've had a, already had a long career, you know, using technology, being an engineer and innovating with it. Um, and you must have had sort of experience of, you know, intelligent machines over a long time. You know, it sounds like AI is not a particularly new thing to you. What, what would you say was your sort of first experience of AI and kind of what is your history? And then, uh, you know, is this, is this kind of new energy for it, something new or something different? I did a mechanical engineering degree because I wanted to know how things work. Um, and what you learn, I mean, I remember my fluid mechanics lectures in first year, which a lot of engineering students will probably have liked a bit more than, say, thermo, if you know what I'm talking about, um, because it, Bernoulli's equation would explain why an aeroplane wing works. You could take a, uh, and, and in the same way that, uh, you know, and why aeroplanes fly, it's not magic, it's simple science, it's simple maths, in the, in the same way that Bayes' theorem would explain why structures stand up. Uh, so what I loved about Engineering from the earliest days is you would use maths to explain why stuff happens, right? Um, and um, you know, fast forward about uh, five, eight years, I was then crashing cars on computers. Um, Ford at the time had more super crazy computing power than I think the American government uh, was their claim. But you know, what we could do in two weeks uh, doing a real life crash test, we could probably achieve overnight with us crazy supercomputer back then and now that that level of power is sitting in an iPhone. So um so yeah I've always been involved in it and even more recently um about four or five years ago I launched a, an AI powered digital experience for sensitive teeth sufferers. Um, um normally we'd get someone to drink an ice cold glass of water and it would make them make their teeth twinge and uh and that would indicate that they could have sensitive teeth and we could help them. Well what if you could take a picture of your mouth and how could AI use um, AI and ML combined to sort of give you a, a quick diagnosis to say, are your teeth sensitive, linked to gum recession and stuff. So I've always been playing with it. Um, but I, I think th th there's this, uh, a lot of people are kind of going AI, wow, new, or maybe hopefully the conversation has moved on from that. It's always been there. 
Um, and really, it's just I'd like to think of it more as applied math to model and predict because all AI is is really prediction. Um, and there are many mathematical algorithms that predict different scenarios. So it's kind of the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, I, with with um, I mean, you, you came to my attention because there was sort of a conversation um, around you know how a might affect you know. Um, brand businesses and agencies that service brand businesses um so i think that's sort of um you know where where i kind of um my attention was drawn um what do you feel i mean do you feel there is a a kind of a, a new approach that you're involved in are you are you um the kind of initiatives and conversations you are having about this is is this a, a new subject a new way of approaching it or is it just continuing on from what you've already done and perhaps what is that conversation or what are the kind of questions that you're kind of asking of um ai and, and how you might use it okay well okay so it's not my quote and i'm sure someone else has already said this somewhere else but um i love this quote of ai won't replace your job but someone who uses it will um which feels very negative and it is slightly negative. So it's probably not the best quote to think about with AI. I, I just think of it more simplistically. You just know wow when you see it. And when I started playing with ChatGPT about a year ago, I was just like, wow, <laughs> this is really good. And I think it was only 3.5 at that point. Um, I mean, this was, you just know it when you see it in the same way as the first time you might have used Google or picked up an iPhone or used a Dyson vacuum cleaner or whatever. You just know when there's a whole step change of performance and things work so much better. So um, I, I would say uh, that's, it, it is a change. It's a seismic change that's happening right, right now. And I suspect in 12 months from now, we will have gone through that excitement of change and the sort of teething of getting used to it. Um, but it is absolutely accelerating and inspiring everything we do. Um, I've been lucky enough to start using Copilot recently, which is probably some of the users who've been using for six months. We've only just been that, given access to it. It's brilliant. It can summarize a chat while while you're talking without having to think about it into three bullets and summarize all the actions for you. You know, that means you can go and make a cup of coffee but not have to run back to your desk. So, I mean, this whole idea of simplification, automation, acceleration is is really great. But specifically to innovation, it's... it's um, it's probably for me. It's one of the most useful step changes in innovation and technology that, that that we could ask for because the innovation process is both divergent and convergent. It's divergent when you're looking for inspiration and sparking off of new territories. It's convergent when you're trying to synthesize and analyze and pick key themes and prioritize. And AI is perfect for that. It's perfect for pattern recognition. It's perfect for taking structured or unstructured data and you know, sorting it out based on a set of biases, good, or sorting it out based on its own its own point of view. So, um, I mean, you could not find a more useful f fifth person to have in the room <laughs> uh, when you're doing these projects. And that's just on the analysis kind of LLM side. But then when you get into this sort of generative AI um, visualization models, um, I've, I've often been in workshops where I've been through a translator struggling to explain to the illustrator in Brazil or in China what images I want. Whereas if I can just go into Firefly or Midjourney or now ChatGPT and give it, give it a well-crafted prompt, um, I can get stimulus at the click of a button. And, and I suppose some of your listeners might be like, 
I'm worried about that. And it's not about, back to the quote, it's not going to replace your job, but someone using it will. So, I, you know, if you think about illustration in the middle of ideation sessions, there are some fantastic GPTs within the GPT Explore tour, uh, um, store, if that's the right way of calling it, that, that create storyboards, that create icons and logos and MOAs. And, you know, the people generating these things that enhance and accelerate the ideation process so that you can stay in that moment of flow and really, really find yourself somewhere new. But I think for innovation in particular, there's something about you can take a load of information and organize it based on a set of principles that you know to be true. And you end up, when you do that, you end up in echo chambers coming up with the same sorts of ideas. Whereas what AI can do in an unstructured way is to come up with combinations you wouldn't otherwise have come up with. And we're seeing this in projects already. Uh, and that's when it gets really fascinating. That's when you get the, you know, lift and drop some other category thinkings and stuff like that happening. Yeah. At the little button. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I don't want to go too back, too far back in the conversation. I thought it brought us to a good point, but some things I thought worthy of note there were, were the way you described that kind of shift change in technology. You know, when when we first discovered Google and realised actually search was really easy, all of a sudden, you know, you you Google stuff, and then um, you know, web access on the phone. We all had those bad contraptions, and then the iPhone came along, and it was like, oh yeah. That's how it, yeah, maybe that's it. The shift change is just the accessibility, isn't it? You can kind of, you can get on, on a, you know, an AI tool and actually start understanding it more, more, more easily. But you've got to think about the why behind it, not just the what. So, I mean, it's, it's a very old cliche example, but the first iPod put a thousand songs in your pocket. And you could argue the Apple Watch has 60 million on your wrist or whatever. I mean, I think of an Apple Watch as a party on your wrist and it's Bluetooth to a speaker. I mean, it's just brilliant. You know, so it's, it's more the application of it. And there's there's probably a, I haven't thought about it right now, but a very pithy, well, succinct description for what it does for the innovation process. Uh, but it definitely, and I can tell you how we're using it, um, which I know your listeners might want to know about, which is um, when you're going into a project, you can use it as a sort of chatbot buddy to help coach through the process of briefing, which is quite nice because it can just take the sort of, uh, it, can, it can accelerate that step very, very quickly. But where it's really useful is when you get multiple data inputs, what, what projects traditionally called a rewind or a recite or a, uh, an audit or whatever it is where you get a gigabyte of different reports. And it can brilliantly go through that uh, and input into it. And equally, um, you know, what you, you might spend in a hundred grand UNA study, multi-market study, you might get, 70% of the same insight from stripping Amazon reviews, positive and negative, of your product versus your competition for free, chucking them through ChatGPT with the right prompts and come out with the same insight. Um, so, so it's a very powerful in that synthesis. It's then very powerful in sort of structured ideation approaches um, and then visualizing as I spoke about. So um, I've noticed that Firefly and GPT are, and ChatGPT are particularly good at product visualization given the right prompts. Uh, and science simplification as well, given the right prompts and visualizing that. So, so it's, yeah, we're just using it across the board, really. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's sort of similar, I guess, because you're you know in a in a kind of similar space, sort of consultancy to the to the Halion business, and we as an independent, you know, kind of using it in similar ways um, and finding it useful in similar ways. I think what was an um, an interesting question from our point of view is once you 
start using that within within a business like Halium, which is you know much larger business than our agency and many other agencies, and it's you know higher profile and it's got legal responsibilities. You know, do, is other kind of is there a period of time where you're kind of experimenting with things and kind of learning things, and will there be a period when it's sort of applied a commercially when you have to own and build your own AI, and will it have kind of legal kind of limitations of what it can use as reference and things like that? How how do you think that might start affecting things? So this is one of the main barriers slowing people down, um, and I think um, so. Rightfully so, companies like mine are protective of of our IP and our knowledge, and we should be. Uh, and equally, so should our competitors. We shouldn't get unethical access to any of that. So, um, so there is a concern that when you, if I were to, and I haven't done this yet, but if I were to upload one of my UNA studies or some piece of breakthrough science to to ChatGPT as a document and ask it to do something with that, it then goes into adjusting and training that master LLM. So, um, uh, or other 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 parts, uh, basically training an external function that someone else can then tap into. So companies like mine have all subscribing, and I know all the big consultancies are as well, subscribing to the enterprise GPT platform. Um, and there are ways in which you can effectively sandbox your your knowledge so that it's, it has some of the functionality. Now, my experience has been OpenAI, OpenAI subscription service is still far ahead of these enterprise solutions. The speed with which it does the analysis, the functionality, whether it's linguistic or and or visual, you know, GPT-5 is around the corner. We know it's going to come up with video functionality, i.e. producing generatively and other things as well. So, um, so, so you know, trying to keep up with them is going to be interesting. Um, what I would say is, back to my example of Amazon reviews, it, it, it's so easy just to download publicly available data um, ethically. Um, and ask smart questions like you and, and the, here's the other thing most most people that we work with haven't don't really haven't really been taught how to use chat GPT right they haven't been taught the structure of a good prompt and that sounds a bit basic equally we don't need to make it something um, more complicated than it is because it's actually very simple give it a persona give it a, some inputs some outputs and tell you tell them what tell it what you want it to do in what form uh, and it's really really simple and then you get much better results and you quickly start to learn what's working and what's not. So I, I think companies need to be slightly less afraid, need to continue to be responsible. We have a very strong responsible AI framework that makes sure that we don't do anything that would disclose our confidential thinking assets, but also don't introduce any bias. And there are many case studies of, you know, show me a picture of an old person and then you get 50 pictures of white old men, um, which is showing... Un uh, uh, you know, unintentional bias. Um, so, so it needs to be done without bias, clearly, and used ethically. But um, common sense can usually prevail. Like you can, you can, you shouldn't use that as an excuse not to start to jump in and start learning. So, I've been very passionate that my team and the teams that we work with responsibly experiment and start to learn. Like, if you were going to go and work in Tokyo, you'd go and learn to speak Japanese, right? Uh, well. AI is here and it's going to shake everything up. So you better start using it and enjoying it. Use it in a responsible way. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant advice. And and um, 
out of interest when when you're working with the enterprise um gpt platforms is there sort of consultancy from the platform itself on how to how to use it or are you kind of is there is there almost a role for for a third party to kind of teach people how to use and build their own ais um i'm not the person to ask on that um so we have an internal it team who who set it up and then uh, are releasing access to sort of lead users like myself across the company because it's almost almost like a beta before we go go broad with it. Um, but we're using it for sort of day to day help me answer questions that are quite tricky to find answers to, all the way through to more tailored solutions like translation services that are more effective because they really understand the nuance in language, which is its superpower. Um, and I'd love to get to the point where sort of companies like GSK Pharma are, where in terms of drug discovery and really supercharge that but that's i guess we're gonna we've got a little way to go before we get there but most of that the model is still consultancy you know we are a largely a products and cream you know pills and creams company um and that's our expertise we're not a ai company so we should just recruit the best people who are and you buy in as a service because they're constantly innovating and one step ahead yeah yeah, great. Um, and I think your note on prompting was was great. Just to just to recap on that, it was kind of to give the give the um, the GPT a persona and an input and an output. Was that was that your two points? Yeah, yeah. This is where Jonathan at One Virtual Studio has been brilliant. He's been uh, working a bit with my, myself and my team just to sort of teach us the basics um, and test it out on through our workflow. So so just in case you are using ChatGPT like Google and just asking it straight questions try doing it this way. Um, so we had some fun at a party recently where we wanted to get it to come up with cocktail recipes. So we said, you are a mixologist. Here is a person whose childhood favorite memory is a holiday in Zimbabwe. Come up with a cocktail for them. They particularly like gin. Um, give me the answer in the form of a name, a catchy name, an elevator pitch for the cocktail, an ingredients list, instructions on how to make it, and then write me a couple of paragraphs on the provenance story of it. Now, I can guarantee if you do that, you'll get a really interesting result. Um, and now you can do, and, and draw me, you know, create an image of, of me using that thing. So it's, it's basically, give it a persona, you're a mixologist, give it some inputs, like my favorite holiday was in Zimbabwe, um, tell it what you want, I want a recipe for a cocktail, and tell me the format that you want it in. Title, elevator pitch, ingredients, blah 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 blah, um, and and that that simple structure for us tends to work. And then what you need to do is start to um, start to work out how you can shortcut that a bit. Um, so Jonathan, who we work with, Jonathan Williams, is brilliant at this. He seems to, he obviously spends he's just going to be one of OpenAI's super users, I'm sure. But he he, he just naturally writes very well prompts, and that's clearly because he's doing it more and more and more, a bit like learning Japanese before you go and relocate to Tokyo. So. That's what I'm keen to get get to, which is just sort of more frequent integration. I'll give you another example. Um, at the same party, we then turned around and took a picture of the bottles on the table and said, make up the top three cocktails based on that. What's there? And of course, it uses its visual recognition side. Well, why can't you take a picture of what's in your fridge and tell it to, if it knows a bit about your, your, your nutritional profile or lifestyle health needs, can't it suggest top three recipes that and then you get to choose you know that's kind of obvious thinking that will come at some point so i think the point i'm trying to make is the more you integrate it into your daily life the more you start to see how it's a facilitator and then you can start to bring it to the workplace and think about how an experience empowered by it can 
can wrap around a product, which is what we what we try to do. Yeah, brilliant. That's a great phrase, a facilitator. Um, well, I'm uh, in the interest of keeping uh, uh, these podcasts punchy. That's um, that's a great little insight to you know your approach and, and your kind of use of um, AI. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, I've just got a few more uh, closing questions, really, just to wrap things up, if that's all right. Um, uh, this podcast is called um, Every Dimension Demand More from Design. So our kind of go-to question is, you know, if you could demand anything from design or creatives, um, uh, probably now powered by AI, now that we're learning that, um, you know, is there a particular problem that you would choose to solve? Yeah, I, I'd focus on what it does best. I think, so I think the problem statement would be too much time is wasted re uh, on refining details that most consumers don't see could be words on a concept, could be subtle elements of a design visualization. Um, let's use AI in the design thinking process to more quickly 80-20 create stuff and test stuff. Test stuff with real people, with AI-powered platforms, or test stuff with even virtual consumers, which we know is already happening as well. So yeah, I would have designers integrate it. And that could be, you know, from written prompts that visualize images or written prompts that go straight to 3D models that are printed that you can put in your hand and get an ethnographic reply from. Is that more inclusive A versus B, you know, as a classic. So we just need to embrace the technology and um, be a lot more demanding of it. Not be, not be wild by it. Yeah, brilliant. Great, thanks, good answer. Okay, so last couple of questions. Um, next one's just kind of, yeah, uh, a kind of parting piece of advice perhaps from from you uh, more personally or, or kind of a, a view on the best piece of advice you've you've received or a kind of motto that you would share for other people to to work to um i guess i've got one work one and one non-work one so my work one would be hire people better than you and really make an effort to learn from them um and hire could be bring them in so i think um I, I particularly value what jonathan's doing for our team at the moment uh, as a good example of that. And then on the personal level, have at least one thing outside work that um, gives you mental space to sort of relax and get away from it all. Because it's just work is incessant 24-7. And when you get stuff like this that takes up even more of your space, you just need time away from it. So you need to have something to obsess that takes you away. Yeah, great. Good advice. Okay, and then last question maybe is to do with your time away. Um, is there anything you kind of recommend um, our listeners um, to, to listen to, read or, or watch after this? It could be AI related or it could just be, you know, interesting stuff. Like you say, that kind of alternative to your day job that, you know, you find uh, uh, enlightening and empowering. Well, aside from your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Um, from a reading perspective, I've got three books that I think are quite nice. The Innovator's Dilemma by Clay Christensen. It's old, but it's still one of the goodies. It's the greats if you like innovation. I think from an innovation culture perspective, Ed Catmull's Creativity Inc. and the story of Pixar I think is fascinating. Um, and then from a kind of innovation insight and revolution perspective, I've, I'm quite taken with Matthew Syed's writing and, and journalism. So his Rebel Ideas book is, is pretty amazing and inspiring. Um, but if you like podcasts, um, aside from your brilliant channel, I think there are two. One that I've been listening to for a year now called Acquired, which is brilliant. Um, it's two guys, two American guys. One's a VC and one's a sort of entrepreneur startup. And they're, they're telling the stories of stories behind big companies we know and some that we don't know. 
So I would recommend you listen to TSMC first, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the company that no one knows about um, that actually makes about 90% of the chips in the world. And then listen to the ones about NVIDIA because it will really tell the story about what's behind the AI revolution and why is it all happening right now. Um, it's all about kind of a perfect storm of AI thinking now matched with com accessible computing or cloud-based computing power. So that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I definitely listen to the Acquired Podcast channel. Great, great. That's really good stuff. Some really good uh, tips there. Thank you very much. And thanks for uh, shouting out our own podcast as well. Well, um, we've come to the end of our time and that's been fantastic to talk to you, Shafiq. Thanks so much for your um, insight and your kind of um, advice. And I think, um, yeah, I've learned a lot in this uh, short um, conversation, but it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. And we will, um, we, yeah, we'll, um, any links and mentions you've made, um, obviously Jonathan uh, Williams was um, one of the reasons that I came across you. So um, I'll... Uh, make a link to his team at um, One Virtual Studio and um, all the references you made. Uh, yeah, so people can follow up and um, get in touch with you as well if they need to. Yeah, happy to. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas. You have been listening to Every Dimension, brought to you by Path. Join in the conversation on LinkedIn using the hashtag Every Dimension or on Instagram at WeArePath. For more information on how we design brands better in every dimension, please visit wearepath.com forward slash every dimension. Here you'll find all our other podcasts and 20 years of experience helping brands diagnose opportunities and challenges, then designing identity, experience and innovation to deliver on them. This podcast is created and produced by Path. If you have enjoyed this podcast, why not leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes? Thank you.